Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Fresh going where we're located. We're West Central Indiana, um, right on the Illinois line. If you drew a line across to the Missouri-Iowa border, I'm right in line with that border. So all of Iowa's north, all Missouri's south. That pretty much tells everyone where we are. We've had a very upside-down weather this year. We've been um, cool and wet. And as a result of that, our cover crops have not grown And that is how we have to um, hope that we can suppress weeds is with that biomass and and that that farming green aspect uh, has then been reduced this year because um, we don't have the biomass that we normally would have had. The the right didn't tiller, it's just not happening for us. We're still planting green but we don't have that biomass. So it's a little bit different. So we've already gone through uh, three or four plans already different than what I planned on. Um, Primarily what we're doing is we're, we're probably, um, and I don't know what else to do because we don't have that, that chemistry easy button to push and we don't have tillage to push. Um, So what we did was we went out with our seven and a half inch drill space spacing drill and we drilled a lot more beans this year than I thought we would. And we drilled them at populations up pretty high, 230, 240,000 plants per acre, trying to get the density of the cash crop to then become our suppressor of the weeds. That's that's absolutely fantastic. And just, just for context, I mean, you're not doing this at a small scale. Um, you guys are, are you still around 7,000 acres? Yeah, yeah, just a little under 7,000. And you talked about not being able to hit the easy button. Walk us through what what you mean by that um, and the differences that your operation sure. has taken. You don't realize how much chemistry does for you until you take it away. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. If in the past when we still used chemistry, I probably wasn't you know, just crazy about every field's got to be just perfect because that chemistry pass is going to come and it's going to clean up whatever problem we have. Well, we don't have that chemistry pass anymore. So anything you don't do correctly or mother nature exploits something for you, like too much rain, water stands in an area, it becomes anaerobic and and everything dies, that is going to be a huge weed area. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we have no way to combat that. So what you have to do then is go ahead and try and get the, the cash crop through those areas at a higher density so that we can hope that the cash crop can slow down 
what what the weeds are going to be doing, but it's going to be very difficult at that point because once that weed has seen the daylight and and got the uh, photosynthesis going and all that, it's pretty much off to the races. So um, we do have um, we do have a weed zapper in the lineup. I'm still not confident on how much damage that is doing to the microbial community because we are sending electricity into the ground. Well, tell me about that. What's a weed zapper? A weed zapper <laughs> is a bar that 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 has a it's a copper bar and you are pulling a generator behind you with the tractor and the generator is creating 10,000 volts of electricity and as that copper bar touches a weed out in front of you that weed gets zapped for lack of a better word and that 10,000 volts of electricity is exploding the cells in that plant and the plant within seconds dies. I mean, a water hemp, if you touch a water hemp plant within five to 10 seconds, it's already drooped over and starting to, to die. No kidding. So yeah. when in the process are you using this weed zapper? Okay, so we've gone through what I've d- explained where uh, we've gone out early, we've tried to suppress these weeds and it didn't work with our with our cash crop idea. So now the broad leaves are coming through. So this is going to be, uh, for us, this will be uh, middle July. Okay. So we're right in the, the flower. You know, we're probably R1 on these soybeans. And we're going to drive right through them and be right over the top of them. And we're going to just hit these weeds with this copper bar. They'll drive right over them. You remember back, you're probably too young, Jess, but we used to have uh, Roundup wicks. Okay. Same concept. You've got this bar out in front of you, but obviously there's no Roundup. And now the wick is this copper tubing with full of electricity. So it doesn't touch the cash crop. It does not touch the cash crop. And it, it, it'll it kill anything that it touches. This, I just, my mind is blown right now. Why don't more people use a weed well, zapper? Well, I'll tell you what, where we are located, last year we had six farmers that used conventional tillage and chemistry and rented our weed zapper to run through their bean fields that they'd already sprayed <laughs> three times. This sounds like a new revenue stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, again, I don't. It's not something I want to rely on because if you get to that point, you're probably losing the battle. Okay. You know, if your weeds are to that point where a giant ragweed infestation or a or a mare's tail or something like that is to where you need to run that zapper, you've probably hurt yourself on yield. You're probably not going to kill everything, but it is a way to slow down the amount of seed that is going to be grown from those weeds when you then harvest that crop and spread those weed seeds all over the, out of the back of your combine. Mm-hmm. So it is beneficial. Um, I just, I don't like to rely on that. We try to do everything up front so we don't need to worry about using that, that weed zapper. Well, and just as a point of clarity, you're doing this because you're in an organic system. You're a certified organic system. Right. And, um, you know, I think we've talked about how you got into that, but have you ever questioned that? What's probably the biggest thing you've questioned, especially as mother nature is whacking you with all sorts of craziness this spring and this summer? Yeah. Have you questioned it? Oh, well, you know, I do. And then I settle myself down and I said, no, wait a minute, Rick, what, what's the big picture here? Why, why did you do this? And when I sit down and I start to rationalize why I did this again, it was to build soil health, to build human health. And just we don't talk about human health enough. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't mean higher, I do mean higher density food. That That's one part of it. But what I'm really referring to is being around those caustic uh, chemicals and, and insecticides your whole life. And what are they doing to your personal health and well-being? And I don't want to expose my children to that. And I don't want to expose my grandchildren to that. So, you know, it's a struggle. I'm going to tell you, this is not easy because not only are we organic with cover crop, but we are no-till. So we're not out here doing mass destruction to the soil. We're trying to save the soil and we're trying to do this with, with as little as inputs as possible. And I mean, right now, the only input we're using is a cover crop cocktail and the seed itself. Wow. I mean, from what you're saying is this is compounding each year. Mm-hmm. So how many years on the journey? Well, the organic journey is five now. And the regenerative, regenerative journey, I guess, I, I didn't even realize I was doing it when we started doing it. Yeah. I'd say 12 years. Yeah. And and back then, you know, I talk a lot about the, the renegade farmers that I met in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And we weren't calling it regenerative back then. That's That's a more new term. What's cool about it is you hear about these renegades that are doing something different. They've got a, a whole series of reasons why they're doing things different. And I think it's absolutely amazing. So right. your system is compounding over time. And I think that's the that's the that's what we need to take away from this conversation is that try try something. But if it doesn't work, first of all, define didn't work. Right. You know. Exactly. And then figure out how to compound it year after year after year. So we kind of get stuck in this uh, finite game. I've been reading inspirational books recently. We think we think each season, and it is a game. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about soil health, that's an infinite game. Mm-hmm. Right, and you're exactly right, Jess. And I, I often, you know, there's different viewpoints on this. I think it's very important that when you step out of your comfort zone and try something new, you have to have success that first time. I think this is very important. And we did. The first year we tried something new and stepped out, it worked. And I mean, it was like a, a punch in the face. It worked so good. So that got me hooked to then this, how quick can we move this across the farm? And then, you know, I don't know, I don't remember, Jess, if we talked about this, but I've got to give someone due credit here. Dr. Erin Silva at the University of Wisconsin, she put on a seminar. She does every year. It's called O'Grain. I went up, I don't remember how long ago, and this was the first year, this is when I met Lauren Steinlogge Mm -hmm. for the first time. And uh, Erin taught this room full of farmers, maybe 40 farmers from around the country, or maybe even some around the world, I don't remember who all was there, came and she showed us how to plant beans in the cereal rye at boot stage, wait 30 to 45 days until anthesis and roll it all down. I'm like, this is mind blowing. I mean, for all the things that I thought we were doing cool, this is way out of, out of bounds. Okay. <laughs> This is the absolute stepping stone for me to organic. Okay. Because when we started to do what Aaron taught us to do, the very first year, I I just got scared. I got a little scared, and we went ahead and sprayed after Mm -hmm. we rolled. I wish I hadn't done that because I don't think we would have needed to. So the second year we did this, we let's say we had 2,500 acres of beans. I decided to not spray 500. 
-hmm. you know, because you can't put your livelihood at risk here. So we did 2,000 rolled and then sprayed, 500 rolled, no spray. Those beans were cleaner and yielded just as good, if not better, than the other beans. So then I said, enough. Then I said, Rick, why are you not organic? You're taking everything <laughs> away now. Let's go. So the beans were my segue into organic. And I still say beans should be anyone's segue into regenerative practices. See, I love this. Okay, review that again. So Dr. Silva, what was her process that, that okay. got you hooked? You're going to plant cereal rye in the fall. It's going gonna, it's gonna to grow, go dormant over winter. This is if you're in a cold state. Go dormant over winter, come out next spring, start to grow. Somewhere around April 28th, this is not a date thing. This is a, a, a physiological stage of the, of the rye. It's called boot stage. It's roughly about 48 inches tall, 40 to 48 inches tall boot stage. You pull in with your planter. You plant green. Okay. Right through those beans. And you don't even worry about it. No, through the rye. Or right through the rye. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're planting the beans right through the rye, farming green. You don't even. You don't look back because if everything is still attached to the ground, yeah. it's going to just wiggle through the planter and come right out the back end. Okay. okay. So don't look back. Like literally don't, don't look, look back. back. Yeah. <laughs> just drive. Okay. Now comes the courage part. You've got to then step away and you've got to wait for the rye to reach anthesis, which is dropping pollen. Okay. So let's say the, the pollen or the, 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 um, the grain is, is half showing pollen, half of that head of, okay. of rye. And the head's about three inches long. So you want to get to at least an inch and a half of pollen dropping, and then it's time to roll. Now, the reason why this works, there's many, there's a couple things here. At anthesis, the lignin is the highest in the plant at that point, and it becomes very vulnerable to rolling down. Okay. Okay. That that's number one. The main reason why this works is because the time from Boot stage to anthesis is about 40 days. And in that 40 days, your beans will not be over a V3 growth stage. Okay. So that's third trifoliate. So what we're trying to do is roll between one and a half to two and a half V, one and a half V, two and a half. So two full trifoliates to two and a half. Because if you roll any later than that, you're going to shred leaves, break branches, and you're going to call Rick and say, what in the world have you got me into? <laughs> you're not going to like it. No. So this is why this all works. So if you're going to do something out of what I just explained, you want to be after boot stage, not in front of boot stage. Okay. Because see, if you do this planting before, you've widened out that window until the rye is anthesis and your beans are going to have a better chance to be too big. Yeah, you don't. So I'd rather be a, a week or two after boot stage than before boot stage. So let me ask you this question. The time period from when you plant and when you roll, how many, approximately how many nights of sleep will you lose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll use, if, if you're a beginner to this, you're going to lose a lot of sleep because you're going to wonder why in the world am I doing this for one? How can, and to see, you got to think back, you got to think back of what we've always been taught. 
I was always taught at school that if any weed in a bean field gets over two inches tall, you're hurting yield. Okay. Well, we're planting into something that's already four feet tall. And are you hurting yield? No, no. Matter of fact, we are helping yield and we are, are, let's see, how do I say this? The yield may or may not be better than it was, but you're you're making a bigger and better ROI. Yes. Because you've reduced your input load up front. You're now maintaining, if not increasing yield. So when you do the math there, you have increased the return on your investment. That's what this is all about. I mean, too many times a farmer's success is based on yield, and that is just a crying shame because that's not what this is about. It's not about maximizing yield. It's about maximizing the return on your investment. When a car company makes cars, they don't make cars just to make cars. They're making cars to make a profit. Absolutely. And that's the same thing a producer needs to look at. That acre needs to be maximized on profit. Well, that's the paradigm shift here. That's the big mental shift of getting rid of the bushels per acre and going into ROI per acre because right. last time I checked, the banks want your money. That's right. Yeah. They, they they might sit around and ask you how your crops were, but believe me, they don't really care if your crops made 220 bushel corn or if you made 180 bushel corn. The question is, do you have enough money to pay the bank back? Correct. That's right. Correct. That's exactly right. So that kind of takes me a little bit into this crazy market that we're in right now. Um, what are you seeing? I know that the um, obtaining that organic premium is always a driver. Mm-hmm. How do you view that in current events? Yeah, this is um, this is very tough times we're in. I'm, I, I really feel for the conventional farmer right now. When I say conventional, I mean the non-organic, the tillage, the chemistry. And they are relying on the 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 mar- uh, price capture at the board of trade because it is almost impossible to hedge this market. Uh, you get some news out today, and the and and Kansas City wheat's down fifty, and then new, news tomorrow changes and it's up seventy. I mean, it's just impossible. So I really feel for those those farmers that are doing that now in the world that I'm in now, Jess. It's not quite as as dramatic of changes because there isn't a set organic market that we can track. Okay. okay. It's more of, and now the, the, the market of the board of trade is also supply and demand driven. It is, but this organic market is more supply and demand driven amongst the players in the, in this market. So the buyers and the sellers, so the farmer and the, and the processor. So, beans probably haven't changed price for for a month in this whole up and down of what the Board of Trade's been doing. The organic beans have probably stayed static. And and, and that that takes me a lot to get used to because I'm a trader at heart. I love to trade. I still trade every day. Uh, But then you wonder, hey, come on. The November beans have gone from, from 14 to 17. How come we're not or to 15 now, how come organic beans aren't up over 40? So um, we do have very good pricing, though. And and another thing I want to say about this, I really like what the world is trying to do. They're trying to slow down what I'm going to call the cheaters. I mean, there are loads of grain that that yes. load on over in Europe 
for example, that are a non-GMO but don't have anything to do with organic and somehow that manifests changes in the Atlantic Ocean on the way over and all of a sudden where they're going to unload organic crops. Yes, it's very magical process. Yes, very magical <laughs> and very frustrating to us organic farmers because that is diluting the market and keeping our price down. Well, and I think that I, I love this conversation so much. As a consumer, I've, I've been aware of that. There's been some really great reporting on fake organics. And I think what I want people to know, especially that organic consumer, is look for USA Organic. We have got to strengthen this. We've got to make sure that our lawmakers right. understand that we have the ability to make sweeping changes, but it has to we have to we have to ensure that we have real food. And that's, you know, we can talk about regenerative. There's regenerative labels coming out. Same thing. We've got to be able to back this up. And the consumer needs to know that what they're getting is accurate. And I think there's probably a some people out there that that think negatively against the USDA certified organic, and for good reason. A lot of it is coming over, right. and it's false. Right. I think you've got that. And then if you do want to play that regenerative card, I think we have a lot of destruction that takes place in the organic world. I think there's a lot of tillage that takes yes. place. And, and, and Jess, we have a consulting company. It's called Farm Green. And probably our number one caller is the organic grower yeah. who has been in years of tillage and wants to know how to get out. So how do you how do you break the addiction? It, it, I mean, these folks are willing because they're already ready. They're already used to all the animosity within their own community because everyone looks down on them anyway because they're so different. But it 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 it's funny how these folks come and. I mean, we've, I've, got a, I've got a gentleman in, in, in Michigan that just, he just flipped and he just went the whole bean acres in one season, went all cereal rye. Wow. And roll, going to roll it down and, and skip and tillage at least that one year in that bean rotation. Now, he's still doing tillage in his corn. And that's fine because you got to get started somewhere. Yeah. And then eventually we'll just move and the whole farm will become a cover crop no-till. Wow. I mean, that's Michael Thompson was talking on his podcast about when he started making these changes, once he got past the sleepless nights and, and sure, mm -hmm. there's still sleepless nights. Oh, yeah. This got fun. Oh, yeah. It's very fun. I mean, I I look I wake up every day and I am tickled to death at what I'm doing. I am happy. I'm pleased. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some advice right now. And this is off the farming subject. But if you wake up and don't like what you're doing, change. Change it. Because life is too, I'm already, Jess, I can remember yesterday I had my kids here. <laughs> yeah. Now today I got my grandchildren over here. I know. That's how fast it's gone. So please, if you're not happy with what you're doing, change. Change is good. I think the world has changed a lot. I think COVID brought a lot of negative oh. things, but it also brought the ability for what we're doing right now. We're off-site. We're at a conference. We're right. able to sit down and, and record these podcasts. So I agree yeah. with that wholeheartedly. And I also, I love how we're breaking down barriers of conversation. Yeah. And you talked a lot about that human health side of things. And when you were talking about doing the same thing year after year after year when you're chemical farming, I think what we don't realize and what people are waking up to 
is that chronic exposure over decades actually does affect your health. Yeah. Um, High Plains Journal did a big uh, feature on farmer mental health and farmer suicide rates. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying that I think there's, I think a lot of this stuff is connected. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. And, and, and I do worry about depression in, in the, in this farming community. I mean, everything it seems like every time you turn around, there's some other crises going on. Oh, I mean, absolutely. for some reason, I don't understand all this, Jess, but we go on COVID lockdown for 18 months and the whole world's out of everything. Yeah. We're out of fertilizer. <laughs> we're out of chemistry. We're out of all this. But I think it was a, it was a, a, a maneuver, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's price gouging. Yeah. The Board of Trade has reacted to weather events around the world. It started with South America. They've had a way shortened crop than normal. So what's going to happen? Price of corn and beans are going to go up. What happens when that happens? Everything associated with farming goes up also. Oh, I And, and the poor this. farmer yeah. just constantly. I mean, I mean, there were horror stories this spring that some farmers in our area may not be able to get product oh my if they didn't pre-order. So now you've got, not only do you have to worry about the paying the bank off, now you got to worry about what am I, what's going, what am I going to do if I don't get any of these inputs? It does, you know, it, you're not the first person on the podcast to suggest some of those price gouging. No. And, um, you know, we've talked to, we, you know, I hate to bring it up. The cattle markets have experienced oh, similar situations. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Regenerative farming, farming green actually puts you back in control, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I, I am cognizant of what's going on around me because that's just what any, any educated person should do. But I do not worry about what the price of urea is going to be or the price of 28 because we're not buying that that's anymore. That's right. That's right. Your inputs are cover crop seed. And and the the cash grain seed. And the cash grain seed. Yeah, and a little bit of fuel. I mean, we just right now, I updated... Our um, our savings chart from 11, 2011 now to 22, and I brought up current pricing. Right now, we are at $1.8 million savings no of way. inputs. Oh, my gosh. I, the, and these are the things that we need to be talking about because yeah. there is a way to do this. There is a way to farm profitably. Um, you know, we we can go back and put some of the links for the soul health. You, you talked about collecting data. Yeah. You talked about, um, you know, you've invested in a data platforms so that you can see your data in live time and be able to analyze and make right. decisions. So all of those things matter. And, you know, I just, I love this conversation. Yeah. We never, we never lose out on what we need to talk about because every single season, every single year is new. And mm -hmm. I agree. It's fun. Yeah. It is. I, I have a blast. I mean, are there are there tough days? Oh yeah, there's tough days. I mean, you know, I'll get trashed on online social media. I get drugged <laughs> through the mud. But you know what? That's okay. Yeah. It's okay because I've always said that the people who are creating the change are the people who are being talked about. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> and and just think about that. That's true. So when you walk into the coffee shop, and I call it the liar's table, when you walk into where that liar's table is and it goes quiet when you walk in, you know they were talking about you. I, I love it. And it is kind of funny, you know, I've been in a small town. And what is really interesting, though, is that in the beginning, I think, 
you would have that, but now we're getting tapped. We're getting yeah, yeah. tapped on the shoulder That's and right. they're like, Hey, what are you doing? I heard you talk about this or, or what was this? I heard you say, so we're seeing yeah. a lot more interested parties, yeah. um, in the region movement. And for me, I think the more the merrier, let's figure this out. Let's regenerate and, um, keep on making a difference. So give us some of your final, final closing thoughts yeah, here. I'll tell you, I'm just going to add to what you just said. Um, what I really like also about this regenerative, and let's just call it a movement because it is. I, th- I, th- I truly think it's a farmer-led movement, and that's important. But what else here is important is there's two main things. There's total transparency. I don't care where you go and hear these folks speak. We all lay it out on the line. We give you the good and the bad all the time. And the second thing is the camaraderie or the community that's being built here. And now as a, as, as a team, we're gonna be able to move into large areas and make great change as a team. I love it, I love it. So that's- It's, it's absolutely amazing. In fact, we, we're dialing in right now from Salado, Texas, and we've got the whole, uh, you know, the whole movement's right behind us, pushing us along. So yeah. Rick Clark, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, and we will be talking to you soon. You are welcome, and thank you for having me. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more soil health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.